0: Hey, good morning Hills family, how we doing? All right, all right, well at least 12 of you are good, that's good to know. So, hey, I want to greet um, our campuses right now. Good morning uh, in Novato and Marin County, good morning at Tulare Street, what's up to my people there? Good morning to our online community, we're glad you're with us. Uh, Old Town, forget you guys. No, they actually have a guest speaker uh, of the Detroit Lion, former Detroit Lion, Zach Follett is at Old Town speaking today. So um, if you want to, if I get boring, you can just get up and go over there. We'll count you here and there, so it's fine. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, they have a special guest and uh, it's an exciting thing for them. So guys, man, um, well, it's good to know that some of you came back from Easter. That was nice. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Um, last weekend, uh, I don't know if you know this, it was, our, our, it was a record attendance for our church. Um, I say that not by like 50, not by 100, not by 500, over 1,000 more than we've ever had before. It was crazy. All, all campuses, um, it was, it was a, an amazing thing. God did some crazy things. Um, We saw 31 people say yes to Jesus for the first time. Another 19 rededicated their lives. Um, Gosh, it it brings our, um, we're we're in a campaign right now, a two-year gospel initiative called Raise to Life, where we, um, as as a church, those those that are all in at Clovis Hills, we prayed, and we want to see 2,000 disciples raised to life. We want to raise up new churches, uh, five church plants here on the West Coast, um, 10 overseas. So we're going to raise up new disciples, raise up new churches. We're going to raise up new buildings. Um, We're working on having a youth building built over on the backside of our our, uh, property over there. We've got um, a patio fellowship area at our Old Town campus, a reading program we launched at our Tulare Street campus, and then we have... um, some remodeling we want to do in Novato, just God has done some great stuff, and God's people have generously sacrificed over two million dollars over their regular normal giving to see this happen, and um, it, it is happening. I have to, I have to let you know, I, I started texting all of our church planners on Monday after Easter, because that's like, if you don't know, for pastors, like that's like the, the one Monday in, in the year we love, because we're like, yeah, that's how church is supposed to be, right? And um, <laughs> so I, I, I texted them, and um, our church plant in Vancouver, Washington, they had their very first Easter service. They had over 1,400 people at it. They rented an indoor soccer field. That's so cool. And, you know, what? let's give the Lord a hand when I'm done telling you about all the others, okay? And then the, that way you don't get clap fatigues, because I could give you something great at the end, and you're like, Whatever. <laughs> 1,400 people. Three, 13 people gave their life to Christ. 24 people renewed their faith. Uh, seven people were baptized that Sunday at Makers Church. Hope Church in San Diego with Pastor Sean Bodine. Um, 47, they've only been open six weeks. They've had 47 Decisions for Christ and 23 baptisms. They were a packed house on Easter Sunday. They had 204 people. They have 205 seats in their church. So there you go. Um, Ecclesia Church had like an afternoon service, which are really tough to do on an Easter Sunday because we're all eating and we're taking a nap by then. Um, They had 103 people. They saw four people come to Christ Uh, We have a church I haven't introduced you yet to that we've uh, helped support and launch due to um, your Raised to Life generosity called, this one's awesome, it's called the Garage Church, because it started in a garage, but uh, their pastor, his name is Patient Matadi, and he's uh, from Congo, and he, I can't wait to introduce you to him, because he's just like fire, just just on fire for the Lord, and um, he, uh, I remember one day I was talking to him, and he's like, Pastor, can you slow down when you talk? He speaks six languages. <laughs> he goes, I'm translating this three times to tell my friend. <laughs> so I'm going English to, to Portuguese to our Bush language. Like he's just a brilliant man. They were packed. They had 210 people. Um, they baptized, I believe they baptized 10 that Sunday. Uh, just great stuff. I te- when I texted him on Monday, I said, hey, how is Easter? He sent me this picture. Right, that's a pretty good Easter if you got that little guy hanging on your hand right there. He's whoever that is. He's adorable. So, um, thing with kids that age, you can take the picture down. Uh, uh, Look at me, not the cute kid. Um, Pay attention to me. the The thing with kids that little though, it's really interesting. Have you ever, um, those of you that have little kids, remember going on vacation with little kids? Not a vacation. Not at all. As a matter of fact, you don't take vacations till your kids get older. You take trips with your kids. And it is a trip, right? And you're like, i got to get the pack and play and the bouncy seat and the diaper genie on the roof. And, the, you know, you're getting all this stuff. And, like, you know, and i got to get the food, food prayer. And, the, you know, and, and, oh, did you get the kids, uh, you know, the one kid's allergic to all these things. Get his bubble. You know, all, like, it's crazy the stuff we have to do to take our family places, right? And you don't go and relax whatsoever, right? You know, I remember, you know, taking my three-year-old to the beach, like, yeah, I'm gonna relax. No, you're not. They're gonna go die. That's their mission. And it's your job to not let them. So, th- this, th- this is the thing. And I don't know, like, everyone has a different personality. I grew up in a home where my father was a Marine, and I remember vacations with my family. We were blue-collar. We didn't go anywhere far. But I I just remember, like, vacation, like, all of a sudden, boom, 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 hotel door opens. My dad goes, all right, 6 a.m., everybody up. We got a lot to do today no resting in Jim Beatty's house, right? That's just not, how, not how, how, how it works. You may be one of those people, right? Or maybe you're like the adventure person. And I'm kind of like that. My wife is the like, sit on the beach under an umbrella with an umbrella in your drink person. And I'm like, let's go skydiving. Let's climb that cliff. Let's go catch a murderer. Let's do something, right? <laughs> and you know, like, I come back from vacations. And if I'm exhausted, I'm like, yeah, that was a good one. Can we go back to work and loaf around? Other people, though, like their pace is different, right? And we all, we all rest differently. But this, this, is, this is the thing I've found in the last, say, 10, 15 years of, of my life, and just as a pastor noticing in other people, is um, we never get to rest. Even when we go on vacation, our mind is still spinning. When we lay down, when we sleep, our mind is still spinning. Like, even if our body is resting, we carry heavy burdens. We carry heavy burdens. So, um, I'm starting a series. You can, t- go ahead and take that down, the big idea down. Here's what, I'm starting a series called I Can't Even. Okay? It's just the next three weeks and we're gonna, we're gonna talk about um, the burdens we carry in our life, the stress, the anxiety, those things. And, um, how do, you, how do you deal with those? Because ultimately, I believe it's, it's a symptom of our culture, the sickness of our souls. Our souls are weary and tired, and we can't find rest, even when we take a rest. I have, I have a good friend who pastors a huge church, like three, four times the size of this one. And um, he was telling me that, he goes, yeah, it's really interesting you know, if I, if I send a pastor on sabbatical, if he takes like a six-week sabbatical or whatever, he goes, a lot of them come back and quit. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. He goes, here's why. He goes, it's not just pastors, it's just people. He goes, you know, if your life is really hard and you're just running and running and running and your mind is always running and running and running, he goes, you, you've set up patterns in your life, habits in your life that have made you like that. You're in charge of those things, but you, you've, you, you've made your life crazy like that. And you can go rest for six weeks, but the minute you have to come back to regular life, you just start spinning again, and they just they end up quitting. Well, guys, I want to talk about that today. So the, the scripture I want to read to you comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. So I'd love it if you're able to stand in, in honor of God's word in whatever campus, whatever room you're in. Let's stand in honor of the word. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? When he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath... Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched out his hand, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word. You may be seated. So there's three things I want to talk to you about today. Uh, if you have your Clovis Hills app, you can pull that out and the outline's in there. And I, I want to talk to you about um, rest, because that's very important. And I want to talk to you about number one, the purpose of Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath. See, Sabbath is like, if you're Jewish, the Sabbath is a big deal, okay? And I, I want to give you a little background on, on this, because... Um, it can get confusing when, when you're a Gentile and you're a Christian because, you know, a lot of times Christians think like, oh, the, the Christian Sabbath is on Sunday. Oh, nay, nay, it's not. That's the Lord's Day. That's a different, that's a whole other animal. But we'll get to that. So in Genesis, the book of Genesis, um, it says that God created the, the, the world and then um, created the universe. It says on the seventh day he rested. And then he gives this premise, Right. Um, God doesn't need to rest. He's God. He's all powerful. That's not, a, not an issue, but, but he, he sets a precedent for us human beings that on the seventh day we would rest like, Hey, take a day. You don't need to fret. I, I, he, you know he would say to Adam and Eve I'm your God I'll take care of you I'll provide all things you don't have to work the garden you don't have to you know worry about this or worry about that don't you know don't worry about your abs Adam I made you perfect I, you know on and on and on and he because human beings sinned we broke the Sabbath for one we broke our relationship with God We we can't be connected to our maker because of sin and it's but we were still supposed to take this Sabbath because God made us to rest, right? And, and really, rest is an exercise in trusting God, believe it or not. That's not how it was designed. In Exodus, God goes on and he explains to the Jewish people, he explains to them, you know, like, here's how you do Sabbath. Here's how you take the day. And look what it says in Exodus 34:21. He says, six days you should labor, but on the seventh day, rest. Even during the plowing season and the harvest, you must rest, right? What he's saying is, even when there's a pile of emails loading up, take a day. Even when, you know, well, this is going to happen, take a day. Well, what about this? Take a day. Some of you, this message is going to give you hives. And I come to you today as a fellow sufferer. Like, I don't have this rest thing down. Remember, I'm the guy that had to take a one-month preaching break because I preached too much and lost my voice, right? So I don't stand up here saying, shame on you. Listen, I'm learning to rest too. And there's, there's, there's this thing about human beings that God knew. This is why God wanted humans to take a day. By the way, um, so for Jews, the Sabbath is on Saturday, right? That's, that's the seventh day. Saturday. Monday or Sunday is their Monday. And actually, most of the other non Western world that that wasn't Christianized early on, Sunday is the first day of the week for them, right? But here's what happened Christianity came into being, and it was a Jewish movement. All the apostles are Jews. They're very Jewish. It's not a Western movement whatsoever, regardless of what your, um, your college professors tell you. It's a Middle Eastern Jewish movement. It's Semitic. And the, all the disciples would take Saturday as their Sabbath. They followed the law still because they were Jewish But then on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day Jesus rose from the dead, they would gather in the morning, they would do communion, they would sing, they would teach from God's Word, they would honor one another, they might have a meal that night, and then they would go about their day doing their thing. But somewhere along the way, Christians began to also take Sunday off. So that's why in our culture traditionally, there's Saturday and Sunday off, so I want to clue you in on something. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God, you should still praise Him and rejoice because He gave you an extra day off. Amen? And, and the atheist said amen. Okay, so. But God understood something in all of us. We have this thing in us, deep within us, that we're always trying to to prove ourselves. You know, that, that's why smart people 15 years ago created this thing called social media. They're like, yeah, we'll make this thing where people can put pictures of each other up. Because they, you know, they're, all, they're always trying to prove themselves that they're good enough and smart enough. and They're on a good vacation. They got awesome food. And... You know, look how great my kids are, and look how clean my house is, and look how this is, and look how that is. And, um, you know, they, they understood there's this thing in human beings that we want to make ourselves present well to the world. We want to justify ourselves, that make people think we're, we're right and we're good, right? And you may, you may say, like, well, that's not me. That's not me at all. Well, I, I, I would say it is. If you woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and adjusted yourself from sleep, you probably cared what other people thought of you. You're like, I'm going to church. I should probably not look like that. (laughs) So I want to talk to you number two about this, about the exhausting task of self-justification. See, God knew this about human beings, is that we are always trying to prove ourselves to ourselves, prove ourselves to others, prove ourselves to, you know, whether it's it's our our, our spouses or our friends or our parents or our, you know, we're, we're trying to justify ourselves. I love the movie Chariots of Fire. Um, it's a story of uh, two runners and they're Olympic runners and uh, one of them refused to run on a Sunday because for him that was a Sabbath and he, he went to church that day, and he wouldn't run in this race. And he wasn't going to qualify. And um, when you, they asked him about running because he was one of the fastest men in the world, Harold Abrams. And he just said, you know, um, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I feel like I'm doing what God made me to do, right? And then his counterpart was another guy that was just very driven, and um, they did the 100-yard dash. And I, there's a line in the movie where he says, I have nine seconds to justify my whole life. And what he meant by that is I have to win this race. All of this work I've done my whole life is for this moment. And we may say like, oh, shame on him. He shouldn't live that way. But we all live that way to an extent. See, I think, um, well, I don't think, actually Webster tells me, the definition of that word justification Let me me read it to you. It's the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. We all have this thing in us that we we want to appear to be right and reasonable. We want to convince ourselves that we are. But deep down inside, we have this thing that tells us we're not. And and, and we, we struggle with that. So we do all kinds of crazy things to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. To make ourselves feel like our life matters or mattered or is going to count, right? This, This this is why so many people put their life in their career. This is why, as a pastor, the danger I have is like, wow, we had the biggest Easter ever. I must be justified. I must be a good person. I must be a good pastor then, right? And I start feeling that way rather than who I was made to be in Christ Jesus, Right? So we're, we're always trying to justify ourselves by our work. Some people always try and justify themselves by their beauty, by how they look and their appearance. And they work very hard at how they look. Or you know, maybe it's not beauty, it's being handsome, or it's being buff, or it's being lean. I can't tell you how many people flex in front of the mirror in the gym bathroom at GB3. <laughs> while I'm trying to change. There's all these young, like buff, like lean dudes, like taking pictures in the mirror. And I'm like, you know, like a doughy little guy naked behind him. Like, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are they doing that? They're justifying, right? This is what humans do. And here's the thing. You, whatever it is you do, it could be your family, it could be your finances, it could be your retirement, it could be you know, your job, it could be softball, your kids sport, whatever it is. We do all these things and, and we're, inwardly we're trying to justify ourselves that our life counts, that, that it matters, and it's running us ragged as human beings. It's running us ragged. Like, even if you have a sedentary job, you don't work on the farm, you don't wake up with the chickens and finish in the dark doing hard manual labor, you are exhausted all the time. You go on vacation. Your mind can't slow down. You are weary and heavy laden. That is the great problem of the 21st century people. And a lot of it is because we are always spinning. We have to be in control. We have to be in control of our narrative, our identity, our life. But deep down inside, we know there are a million variables in this world that make us not in control. Here's what I would tell you today. I tell you this all the time. You are ridiculously in control of a couple things. Your choices and your attitude, right? But there is a lot of things you're not in control of. And see, what's happened in our culture is we've switched the price tags. The thing that is of the utmost worth, we put a cheap tag on. And the things that, that probably aren't as worth as much as we think, we put a very expensive tag on. When I was um, in junior high, my friend John Calagres bought me a fishing rod. He brought it in, and I knew, I, saw, I knew that rod. It was behind the counter at Kmart. It was like the expensive ones that I could never get. And it was like a hundred bucks and he brought it and it was, he brought it for me for my birthday. I was like, what? So I'm talking, I'm like, bro, how did, how did you get that rod? That's a hundred bucks. And he goes, oh, it was really easy. When the lady wasn't looking, I took it from behind the counter and I put a $5 um, tag on it and I put it back there. And I bought it for five bucks for you. Yeah, your junior high boys think that way too. I'm just letting you know. Anyways, um, not my angel. So he took a $100 tag and he went and put it on some salmon eggs. That's, like, that's called caviar at that point. So this thing that is really cheap and throw away has this incredible price on it. And all of a sudden, and, and this is what we do. We take things that are very temporary in this world and they mean the most to us. They mean the most to us. When, when the truth of the matter is, we put the the the, the five dollar tag on our soul, and we never take care of our soul, we'll take care of our body, our career, other people, all of those things. But we never, we we don't, we don't put a big price tag on a relationship to our Maker. I told you I'd give you hives, but let me tell you what your Maker said. Because here, I I want you to understand something. Some of you, you're like, yeah, I just got to try harder at being a better Christian. And I got to read the Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to go to church more. I got to tithe more. I got to do this. Do, 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 do. No. Nay, nay. No. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He doesn't want you to try harder to be religious. Because those people, we all know those people, they're trying to justify themselves too. See, God, I've done all this. I'm good. Look what God says. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 11:28 through20, He says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, every one of us, we carry heavy burdens. You probably carried some heavy burdens in this room today. And I I, I want you to understand something. If you are in Christ Jesus, if if you've given your your life to Jesus Christ, I, I want you to understand something. He holds you. Every bit of your future, he has control over. Nothing will surprise him. The circumstance you're in right now, that you can't pay a bill at the middle of the month, your marriage is going south, your parents are all over you, you're going, your body's falling apart, whatever it is, it's of no surprise to him. And he has you right now. I want you to do me a favor. Every room, every campus, just close your eyes and take a deep breath for a minute. And rest in that fact. God has you. And see, you can even be a lazy person and be weary and heavy laden because all the troubles of life have you. It says in the book of Romans, it says that God works for the good of all those who love him. That even in terrible circumstances, God works for the good of all those who love him. It doesn't mean that God makes it better. It doesn't mean that Bing, it's all better. Not, not whatsoever. It's that God is, is, is working in the midst of whatever terrible thing is going on in your life and if you will trust him, he will get you through it. That, that's really what he's saying. And if you, something, i let you in. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're sealed in Christ and I want you to know this. If you're going through something awful right now and life is terrible right now, I'm going to let you in on some good news. God's not done with you then. Because he is faithful to complete what he has started in you. And you may go through it longer than you want to. Because we live in a culture where we can take a pill or swipe or buy or, you know, eat whatever we want. Drink whatever we want to, to ease pain in our life. But I want you to know something. Sometimes God is using our pain as a megaphone saying, hey, I'm here. I stand in front of you. Take my yoke. That thing you're carrying, you don't need to carry it. I take, My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Take me. I'm here. I saw a picture this week. I love this. (laughs) You you can put it up. It was a a whiteboard, and it just said, every dead body on Mount Everest was once a highly motivated person. So maybe calm down. (laughs) Right? It's brilliant, whoever thought of that. (laughs) You can spin all you want about whatever the circumstances in your life. And here's what I want you to know. If you are not in Christ Jesus, you probably should spin. I get it. You should be really freaked out. Because you don't have control over that. But I want you to know something. Like, the God who created you is for you. He has a plan for your life. You can live your life or you can live the life that your creator made for you. That, that, That you are ridiculously in charge of. And rest is this habit that God gave his people to teach them how to trust him, right? Hey, don't work on, on one day a week. But, but I, I got all these emails. I've got all this. I've, you know, my, my kid, he's not gonna get a, solid scholarship, a college scholarship if I don't have him swim 75,000 more laps. You know He's gotta get his 10,000 hours of violin in. Uh, you, you know He's he gotta get his 10,000 hours of dancing. Your kids don't have any more hours left in their life because you're trying to make them great. And sometimes maybe we just got to trust that God has them too. I love what Brennan Manning says. This is so beautiful. This is a quote from a book I read by him called Ruthless Trust. He said, The splendor of a human heart that trusts that it is loved unconditionally gives God more pleasure than Westminster Cathedral the Sistine Chapel, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Van Gogh's Sunflowers, the sight of 10,000 butterflies in flight, or the scent of a million orchids in bloom. Trust is our gift back to God. And he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for the love of it. That's what Jesus wants from you, is to trust him with your circumstances, to obey Him in the circumstances. There's not a magic pill that takes your circumstances away, but there's, there's a rest that you can have. You know, how do you win in sports, right? You usually, you score more points than the other team. How do you win in life? It's not by having the most things, the most titles, win in life when you begin to live the life you were created to make by your creator. And that requires trust. I learned this one a lot watching my wife. If you're new to this church, um, four and a half years ago, my wife got a um, terminal brain cancer diagnosis. They said, you have nine months to live so get your house in order. She's still here. She's at Hume Lake right now. So, um, yeah, it's good, it's good. We had an MRI Wednesday, clear again. We're, praise the Lord, okay? So I, I use this example because I, I've learned a lot about trust just kind of watching her, right? Because when you've been given a death, death sentence, you can live your life one or two ways, in fear, or you could be like, okay, God, all my days are numbered. I'm just gonna live for you, right? And I, I remember... Um, she works with uh, H2H, our homeless ministry here at the church, and down at Tulare Street, she does a reading program there, and she goes down there, and um, I remember one time, there's this one guy that she's been helping, he's homeless, he's blind, big guy, probably like three times the size of her, and um, she w- was going to help him get his uh, ID, and um, ended up, she had to didn't have a partner, so she just put him in, in she got my son's truck and put him in the, in the car, and drove him to the DMV and it was just her and this homeless dude. And someone in the church saw her like driving down the street with this big giant homeless dude in the car. And they were, they were like, aren't you, that's, that's dangerous. Aren't you scared? And she said something and I, it, it's always stuck with me. She just said, well, what am I going to die? <laughs> yeah. But she lives her life with a trust that um, I probably don't fully understand yet, but I'm learning to. So I sit here today as a fellow struggler. Giving this sermon gave me hives. You know, the guy that preached so much, he lost his voice. But Jesus said this, because I want you to understand this there is a rest beneath your rest you can go on all the vacations you want and you take all the time off you want you sleep all you want and you can still be exhausted but there is a rest beneath your rest and his name is Jesus look what he says in 5 through 7 he says haven't you read that in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and are yet innocent he's basically saying these guys work on the Sabbath but God said it's cool And there's verse 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. To the Jew, that was blasphemy. The temple is where the presence of God was, it's where the Holy of Holies were. The intersect of heaven and earth was there in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. It's where you went. To see God. And Jesus says there's something greater than the temple. I am greater than the temple. I," He's saying I am God. I am the presence. I am the rest. I am the one you need. I stand in front of you and you can't see it. And then he says. If you had known what these words mean. I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. Some of you. You love Jesus and you've spent the rest of your life trying to prove it to him. You don't got to prove it to him, he knows you. He knows every bit of it, every motive, all of that. And he loves you in that whole mesh of good and bad motives we have. And you can rest in that. And then he says this, verse eight. He says, for the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What he is saying is, I'm God. I made the Sabbath. I made it for you. I'm Lord over it. I'm the rest that you need. I'm the thing that you need. Come to me. Right? I read you that verse. That's the verse, three verses right before this passage I read. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. For I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, some of you, you have to understand this. You will never find the rest beneath your rest until you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Some of you, you've been putting it off because you're worried about what your family thinks about you. Someone who's really important might think something weird about you. And I'm, I'm just here to challenge you. Like, When are you going to rest from that? You're so worried about what those people think about you. Lay that down and connect to the God who has a life for you, who has an abundant life for you, who has it for you. And you will run yourself weary and never find it apart from your creator. The Bible says this. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I will come in if you open it. Right? Just as he said, the one who created the Sabbath is right here if you want rest. It's the same way. He's saying, I'm right here. I'm standing at the door of your heart wanting to come in. When are you going to surrender? Well, how do you surrender, you may ask? Well, it says in John 1.12, it says, But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God that you receive him. You open the door. You invite him in to forgive you of your sin. In faith, you say, God, I want to lay down my way. I want to take up yours. You may not even know how to fully do that. I didn't. But I just was going to trust that God was going to show me over the period of my life. How? And that trust is so precious to Jesus, he died to get it from you if you would give it to him. So let's pray.